Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Now this has been my prayer for all of us as we've been in this series, so if you're joining us for the first time, I want to just revisit this prayer one more time out of the book of 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 11 through 13. I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide open, spacious life. We didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes from within you. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. I'm speaking as plainly as I can and with great affection. Open up your lives. Live openly and expansively. I have at times in my life lived a small way, but that is not God's desire for any one of us. Jesus did not come out of the grave, and God did not open the grave so that we would think small or so that we would live small. He did it so that our lives would be empowered by his resurrection power to think differently and to live our lives differently. God wants us to live wide open lives, spacious lives, generous lives, gracious lives that are filled with his grace and his love. And so in this series, we've been talking about the reality that the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. And it changes everyone who places their faith and their trust in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let me repeat it once again. There is no biblical Christianity without a living Christ. Remove the resurrection and the Christian faith collapses. It's gutted of its life. It's gutted of its power. And because we have a living Christ, it changes absolutely everything about our lives, including this final thing we want to focus on this morning. It changes our citizenship. It changes our citizenship. Here's the big idea for this morning's talk. Changing the way you live requires a change in your citizenship. Here's the scripture, Philippians chapter 3. We are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior He will take our weak, mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. We are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. That's profound. Now, not everyone in this auditorium this morning is a natural-born citizen, but the likelihood is that the majority of us are natural-born United States citizens. But to be a natural-born or what's called an automatic citizen, you don't have to do anything. Think about that. Just being a child of an American citizen makes you a citizen of the United States of America. That same thing holds true for our spiritual citizenship. The moment that we come into faith in the resurrected Christ, in that very moment, we are given and we are issued a citizenship that is different than the one that we have because of our natural birth. 
just like with our natural birth, when we undergo a spiritual birth, we are afforded a citizenship that requires us to do nothing. Just being a child of God's, just having relationship with our heavenly father gives us all the privileges and all the rights of the citizenship that's been afforded to us because of the resurrected Christ. How cool is that? That you and I have been given something that we did not earn, we did not work for, we don't even really think about. And yet how often do we then in turn, because of that very thing, take our citizenship for granted? How often do we mishandle, misrepresent, misuse the citizenship that God has afforded us through the living Christ who now dwells in heaven? Listen, just because you are a citizen doesn't mean that you will always behave like a citizen, right? It's one thing to become a citizen. It is a completely different thing to behave like a citizen. So I don't know how many of you have heard this, but there has been some chatter as of late, uh, that there are certain people that are uh, protesting a certain presidential candidate. And some Hollywood celebrities have kind of gone on record now. In fact, the number has gone from a little chatter a few days ago to now nine celebrities that have signed on to this citizenship protest of sorts. I mean, here's what they're saying. If this particular uh, presidential candidate becomes president, who will remain nameless this morning, if he trumps all the other (laughs) candidates and becomes the president, these particular celebrities are going to leave our country. And I think we have a picture of them this morning. So so they're leaving our country. They're going to withdraw their citizenship from the United States of America. I mean, here's the reality. I know we look at this story and it almost just sounds like Hollywood, like, like coming unglued, right? Like Hollywood on steroids, yet again. But here's the reality. The reality is many of us will not say it, but we live like it. We already live like we've withdrawn our membership. We've already looked like we've withdrawn our citizenship. We already live our lives as though God has no bearing upon what we do here on this earth. We have relegated our relationship with God to a Sunday morning experience. We have lost the reality that we are first and foremost citizens of heaven where Jesus Christ dwells and he is alive and because he is alive, he wants our faith also to be alive. Now, here's the, here's the deal this morning. Citizenship changes your perspective. When you recognize your citizenship, it actually changes your perspective. It did for Christ. So Jesus, uh, on the night that he was being um, tried for crimes he did not commit, was standing and he was, he was being badgered with question after question. And finally, he speaks up. In John's Gospel, chapter 18, and here's what he says. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Now listen, you've got to see what Jesus did not say here, and you've also got to notice what Jesus did say. Jesus did not say, my kingdom is not in this world. That was not what he said. What he did say is, my kingdom is not of this world. It is not from 
this world, that subtle distinction is very, very significant. Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything, including our relationship to the world. Our very relationship to this world gets altered the moment we become citizens of heaven. And so, just like Jesus, you and I are called to live out our citizenship being in this world, but not of this world. And how do we do that? Well, Paul actually writes about this. And he actually talks about what this looks like when we live it out. He writes a letter to a church that he helped establish in the city of Corinth. And when he writes to the church at Corinth, he writes to a group of people that were living in one of the most immoral, godless cities that existed at the time. Think of Corinth as the Las Vegas of the first century. That's what it looked like. And so Paul writes, and here's what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. Here's the reality. You and I, every day of our Christian lives are faced with an incredible tension to manage. And the tension that we are called to manage is how do we we live as Christians in this world without allowing the principles and philosophies of this world to impact the way we live and the way we think. That is not a problem we solve. You will never solve that problem as long as you're in this stuff called flesh. But it is a tension you will constantly manage. And it's how we manage that tension of being in the world but not of the world that makes all the difference in the world as it relates to our citizenship. Jesus actually showed us how to do this. Jesus modeled what it looked like to be in this world but not of this world. And how did he manage the tension? Jesus made sure that he lived with a very clear demarcation between where he was and whose he was. Let me say that again. He lived with a very clear demarcation between where he was, point of location, and whose he was, source of information. Those two things are significant. They're not mutually exclusive. I am not nearly as concerned about my point of location, where I am, than I am my source of information. Then I am whose I am, whose I belong to, and who it is that guides the decisions that I make on this earth. Every single day of our lives, we find ourselves in tough places and locations. And sometimes the location that you find yourself in will challenge the loyalty of your citizenship. And when the location challenges, challenges the, uh, uh, the loyalty of your citizenship, you in that moment have a choice to make. Am I going to allow my thoughts and my behaviors to align with my point of location? Or am I going to allow them to line up with my source of information? 
with the reality of who God says that I am. It is not a bad thing that you and I live in a dark world. It is not a bad thing that we are surrounded by people who do not think like God and act like God. That is exactly the way God designed it. He called us to be light in darkness. He called us to come and bring the grace and the light and the love of Jesus right into those places that we find ourselves that are excluded from God and that exclude God from their thinking. The Bible says we are called to live and shine like bright stars in this dark world. But here's the reality. The world that I am of should always inform the world in which I live. The world that I am of should always inform the world in which I live. That's why here at Grace Crossing Church, our number one highest core value is biblical worldview. When you open up the shutters of your life and you look out of those shutters at the world around you and you see all the crazy that's going on, it should be our Christian worldview anchored in the Bible that informs what's happening. It should inform not only what's happening, but how we respond to it, how we live in the midst of that kind of situation. God did not call us to say he wants us to leave this world and be completely separated from those kind of of things. He wants us to live, remembering that our citizenship is actually first and foremost in heaven. When you gave your life to Jesus, here's what actually happened. You were given dual citizenship. Some in this auditorium know, knows exactly what it feels like to have dual citizenship. But for many of us, we don't know that. Well, the moment you give your life to Jesus, it doesn't only change your perspective. It also changes your identity and your identification. One of the greatest gifts that we are given is this gift of citizenship. It affords us the opportunity to work. It affords us the opportunity to gain benefits. It affords us the opportunity to pay taxes, right? All the good stuff that goes along with citizenship. It affords you the opportunity to have a voice in the public square, to have a vote in politics. That's a God-given privilege that we have. And it also gives you the privilege of traveling around the world And yet wherever you go, being represented, being represented by a country that is behind the fact that you are a citizen. We have embassies everywhere around the world and consulates that we can go to that remind us of what? That our citizenship is not in some other country, it's here in America. No matter where our feet land, no matter what soil we are on, we can grab our passport and it shows the image of our identity. It shows who we are. It shows who we belong to. It shows what country we are part of. And listen, this document is an important one, right? You do not want to lose this document when you're traveling overseas because it may be the only thing that you have on your person that actually shows others looking around you of your citizenship. Well, the moment you come to Christ, he changes your identity. Your passport's altered. You actually have a brand new identity and a brand new identification that you are now a Christian. You are now a follower of Jesus. You now become an ambassador wherever you go of the kingdom of God. Peter actually talks about this. Peter says this in his letter. First Peter chapter two, you are a chosen people. 
identity. You are royal priests, identity. You are a holy nation, identity. You are God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once, you had no identity as a people, but now you are God's people. Listen, citizenship does not just change our relationship to the world. It changes our relationship to God. Our citizenship actually alters the way we see God, and watch this, the way God sees us. He now sees you in a way that I promise you, when you came to faith in Christ, you did not see yourself. I don't know what it is you see when you look in the mirror. I don't know what you think about yourself from a spiritual standpoint. Most people that I talk to feel very spiritually inferior to everyone else around them. They feel like they are not good enough. They don't pray enough. They don't read the Bible enough. They don't live a holy enough life. Well, here's the reality. When God looks at you, listen how God sees you. God sees you as holy. God sees you as royalty. God sees you as a chosen individual who becomes his very own possession. I love the way the contemporary English version captures this last statement. It says, once you were nobody, but now you have become God's people. The moment that you became a follower of Jesus and your citizenship got altered and you were given a new identity, in that very moment, everything changed. And what changed is the way that God begins to look at your life. You were nobody special. And all of a sudden, God elevated you to a very special place of honor. And so because of our identity in Christ, we can live lives that actually represent his kingdom. I know you don't feel like you're able to. I know that you don't. I know we still tend to live these small lives thinking it's impossible to really make a difference for God's kingdom, to do anything of value. Man, I can't even get out of bed to pray. I'm uncomfortable praying around my meal. Listen, you are seen as special to God. God already calls you that. And all he asks us to do is accept the privileges that come along with it. In John's gospel, John chapter one, here's what it says. Both of Jesus and then of us. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right. Lock your thoughts on that word right. He gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor of a husband's will, but born of God. In the Greek language, that word used right there is actually a word that is a legal term. It is a legally binding term that means that every right of your parent becomes the right of you. It is a familial term that means that, that you are given these privileges simply because of relationship with God. Nothing more. You need to do nothing more to have the rights and the privileges as a citizen. God says they're all ours, and all we have to do is accept them 
and live them and begin to represent them here on this earth. Our citizenship is changed because of the resurrection. It doesn't just change our perspective. It doesn't just change our identity, but it also changes our rights and our responsibilities. Now, have you ever stopped to think about this? You cannot tell that a person is a citizen simply by looking at them. It's impossible. And if we're really honest, citizenship is kind of a hidden thing, isn't it? I mean, I didn't think about my citizenship until I learned about citizenship in school. And when I finally learned about citizenship, even then it meant nothing to me. I did not understand the significance of that. And so when you pass people on the street, when you walk out of Grace Crossing Church today and you walk through a restaurant following our service and you see people seated in their booths, you cannot necessarily identify or connect them to a citizenship. But there are some things that as you get to know them that will give them away, right? The way people talk, their language is many times evidence of where citizenship lies. Certainly the way that they live out their life, the privileges that they, that they get to exercise is an indication of citizenship. Now here's kind of the scary part is that as followers of Jesus, there is really nothing in and of itself on the surface that gives us away and identifies us as Christians. I mean, here's the reality. You could go through your entire life and people do it. And nobody ever know that you claim an allegiance to Jesus. You could go and live your entire life and nobody ever be aware that you have given your heart to Christ. In fact, here's the reality. I have met more than one person who has told me that my faith is a private thing. My faith is kind of a personal thing. I really don't talk about or kind of really kind of do anything to expose my faith. Well, that may be all well and good for you, but it's not biblical Christianity. It's not what the Bible teaches about Christianity. What I'm not advocating for this morning is that you go out after service and you go to Lowe's and you buy a soapbox and you stand up on it and you go out on a public square and declare your faith. That's not what I'm suggesting. But on the other hand, I think it's important we do not abdicate our responsibility to shine like stars, bright stars, in a dark world, that we do not abdicate our responsibility to show our good works so that others can see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. How will they know unless they see it in us? How will they know unless they hear it from us? And I think they're the two greatest evidences. How do we know that our citizenship is in heaven? How do we know that we've been given all the rights of God? Well, I think, first of all, the fruit of your life will reveal it. And Galatians 5 actually tells us what that fruit is. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Those things, those are evidences of citizenship. Those actually tell the world that through the fruit of your life, listen, that person's different. There's something different about them. 
not just the fruit of your life, but the fruit of your lips. The way that we talk, the things that we say, and I'm not just talking here about the words or the language. Listen, I'm talking about the content. It actually gives us away. It tells us where our primary citizenship really lies, whether it's of this world or whether it's of his world, God's world. There's just a remarkable, and I'll just be brief on this. There's a remarkable story. When the disciples and people had gathered around a a fire outside of where Jesus was was being tried. And Peter is standing at a distance around this this campfire. And all of a sudden, here's what happens. It's recorded in Matthew's gospel, chapter 26. Some people standing there went to Peter and said, surely you are one of those who followed Jesus. Notice this. The way you talk shows it. So I just have a simple question this morning. Does the way you talk show that you're a follower of Jesus? Let me ask it this way. Do your words align to your faith? Do your words align to your faith? I think that's so important for us to think about because what gives the world evidence that we are citizens of heaven is how we live out our faith here on the earth. There's no greater way to give evidence of it other than the way we live it out. And don't worry, that's taken care of. Our team's on that. (laughs) At least I'm trusting they are. (laughs) So let me close this out by by giving you these two scriptures, both from Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. And this this is my final prayer for us this morning. And it's my challenge to every one of us here in this auditorium. Don't forget, don't forget that you used to be outsiders The word Gentiles just simply means non-Jews. Anybody who was outside the Jewish faith was considered an outsider. That includes us. Don't forget that you used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. You did not know the covenant promises that God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now, I love those two words. But now. But now you've been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. Verses verses 18 and 19. Now all of us can come to the Father, through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens. You are citizens. Along with all of God's holy people, you are members of God's family. This principle was so important to Jesus He wanted to drive it home before he left this earth. And he does it in one of the most meaningful ways. And it happened the night of his arrest, the night that he would be taken and then crucified. He's gathered with his disciples at one of the most significant celebrations of the Jewish uh, faith, and that's the Passover celebration. And at the Passover, there is a meal called the Seder. 
meal. It is a significant moment where every object on the table tells a story. It's an illustrated meal. And the illustration of the meal is all about how God delivered the people of Israel from bondage in Egypt, got them out of them, there delivered them, and then guided them through the wilderness and provided all along the way everything they needed, the bread and drink was all taken care of. This is remarkable. I want you to hear and watch what Jesus does. He comes to this meal knowing what was about to happen, knowing that his crucifixion and resurrection was about to change everything, and he reorients the thinking of those disciples to the table. How does he do it? He does it by actually connecting the elements, not to the story of the past, but to his body. So he says, this cup, is my blood. And this bread is my body. Now, up until this moment, the only term used for the Passover meal was it was the Seder. Following the resurrection that changed everything, they no longer referred to it as that. They referred to it as the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table. Their very thinking had been reoriented not about being in this world, their point of location, but all of a sudden it was the source of information that they had received. It reminded them, and every time they were going to gather together from that point forward, it would remind them not where they were, but whose they were. Powerful. And here's what it says in Corinthians. This is the statement about the Passover table that's transformed. For I received of the Lord... That what I've also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Remember, every time they gathered at the table, they were remembering what God had done in the past. No longer would it be what God had done for them. It was now all about what God was doing in them and for them in the future. He totally reorients their thinking and no longer do they say, do this in remembrance of the Passover. Now they say, do this in remembrance of him. And for 20 centuries, Christians just like us here this morning have gathered together and they have picked up two elements. Two elements that were now attached to the body of Jesus And they took those not to necessarily commemorate what had happened, but to celebrate what God had done for them. That's so powerful. And as our band comes this morning and we prepare, here's what I want you to hear. Post-resurrection, Jesus actually goes out of his way to make sure that he circles back to the significance 
of breaking the bread and drinking the cup. The very first thing that Luke's gospel records following his resurrection is there were two guys that were traveling from Jerusalem all the way to Emmaus, seven-mile journey. And on the way there, they're talking about what had happened. They talked about the crucifixion. They didn't know about the resurrection. They're talking about everything that had happened. And certainly they were there because we believe, and Scripture certainly suggests that they were believers. They trusted in Christ. They had relationship with Him. So what does Jesus do? He shows up as a stranger to them. And he begins walking with them. And as he's walking with them and talking with them, they reach their seven-mile point of destination. And and Jesus acts as though, still a stranger to them, acts as though he's going to go on in in the journey. And they beg him. And they say, listen, would you stay? Would Would you have a meal with us? They love the conversation so much. They said, would you have a meal? Would you spend the night? Jesus comes to the table. Here's what happens. Luke's gospel. Take the previous slide we need. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then, in that moment, their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us? As he talked with us on the road, and he opened the scriptures to us, Next slide. There they found the 11 and those who had assembled together, saying, it's true. The Lord has risen, and he has appeared to Simon. Then the two told them what happened on their way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Before we serve the elements this morning, here's what I want to say that I don't think we realize our full identity in Christ. I don't think we realize our full citizenship in Christ until we come to him with a completely surrendered heart and we say, God, we want to live and we want to we follow you with everything inside. We want to we live our citizenship of heaven here on this earth. And so as we prepare this morning, just two things that I want you to reflect about prayerfully. One, where do your eyes need to be open today? As you look at your own life and you see yourself, what is it you need God to open your eyes about? How do you need to see yourself differently? And secondly, where is it today that you're not really representing the citizenship of heaven in your life, in your priorities, in the choices that you make, in your thinking, the way God wants you to? Listen, you are a dual citizen. But may we never forget that our primary citizenship is not of this earth. We are simply passing through as followers of Jesus. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.